I remember when we first moved here, uh, we were all coming to church together. Those were the, the days before two services, and so we all rode together. And uh, we're driving our, to date us, Oldsmobile station wagon. Um, and we are coming uh, to the back, and we're going to walk through the old fellowship hall, if any of you remember. And on the way to church, uh, the girls had sort of gotten an argument, and they're sort of all fighting among each other. And so Luke and I, he's about six years old, we get out of the car, and we're walking uh, into the church building. The girls are still behind, and we're just walking through the fellowship hall, and I hear Luke say one word, women. That, that's just about that all he wanted to say. And today, we're going to look at another Luke who 2,000 years ago said the same word often with a very different tone of appreciation for women. So today, we look in the Gospel of Luke. If you're taking notes, please take out your message outline and, and fill in these blanks. Here we go. Luke mentions more women than all the other Gospels combined and tells them about, tells us about them playing unexpected roles in the ministry of Jesus. There are 13 women mentioned in the Gospel of Luke that are not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or John. And there are 23 unique stories about ministry and women in the life of Jesus Christ. And let's just say this at the beginning. This fits Luke's theme that outsiders become insiders. Because we read these verses and we think absolutely nothing about it because we don't remember the culture that all of this happened in. My friends, the way Jesus treated women was extremely unexpected. First of all, it was unexpected in Gentile culture. In Gentile culture, women were looked at as property with no more rights than a slave. A daughter was simply to be bartered to the highest bidder as a husband. And if a father happened to murder his daughter, he would probably not be charged. Women were not allowed in Gentile cultures to learn or to be taught and were looked at more as sexual devices not to be seen in public unless they were just playing very menial roles. So as Luke the Gentile writes this, he's shocking some Gentiles telling about Jesus. It also was unexpected in Jewish culture. Now, Jewish culture was better than Gentile culture. Um, They were in a more positive light, women were in the Old Testament. In the creation story, women are created as a helpmeet. They are created as co-image bearers of God, which was extremely unusual for literature of that day. In the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't think anything about it, but we are commanded to honor our father and mother. Most other ancient religions would say only honor your father. Mother's Day wouldn't have been a big deal back then, but it was for Jewish people. And then in Proverbs 31, we have this Proverbs 31 woman who's quite the business person, an entrepreneur, and is affirmed for that role that would be outside many of the normal roles of women. But we must say, Jewish culture still reflected a great male prejudice toward women. If a woman were to go to the synagogue, she was more of an observer than a a participant. In fact, men and women were divided. If any of you have ever been to the Katoma Street Church of Christ in downtown Montgomery, that was the first Church of Christ in Montgomery, they bought a Jewish synagogue. At the top of it is an all-seeing eye. There are three sections of pews, 
And in the middle section, there is a barrier that goes down the middle because in the old Jewish days, men and women sat on different sides. And that's the way it was when Jesus came around. There were lots of prayers that were written out prayers that were prayed. A man might pray something like this. I thank God that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or guess what? Woman. And here was the woman's prayer. I thank God that you made me according to your will. Not a very good comparison, is it? And so even in Jewish culture, among the rabbis, there was great prejudice against women. Women were basically looked at as as temptations to be avoided. In fact, one rabbi taught that there was no way you would spend eternal life in heaven if you ever walked behind a woman. You were always the male, supposed to walk in front, and you weren't supposed to walk behind. So, a Jewish rabbi would never include a woman as one of his disciples. And many Jewish people actually believed it was sinful for a rabbi to teach a woman. Now, that reminds me of a story that that Andy told me, our missions minister, about ministering in Burkina. They're doing this class for men and women. They're going through the Old Testament in and telling stories from the Old Testament. Little do they recognize, they're men, that they've only picked stories about great men, even though there are certainly great women in the Old Testament. At the end of this teaching, one African woman said this, because this was her impression, I wish God loved women and worked through them too. That's what makes Jesus so radical. Now, because he gives women unexpected roles, okay? Now, actually, we got a contradiction right here in our service, and I need your help. On the screens, it says unexpected roles. On the bulletin, it says unexpected rules. So, women, I'm going to give you a vote on what direction this message is going to go, all right? Who would rather talk about some unexpected rules for women? Women, raise your hand. No takers. Who would rather talk about unexpected roles for women? 100%. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for choosing that because I did not have a clue of what I'd preach about if you chose the other. You see, what happens is uh, my, my you, which was supposed to be an O when I gave it to Charlene. So let's talk a little bit about unexpected roles. And again, I, I want you to look at this in light of what I've just told you about culture. Because at first sight, it doesn't shock us. And number one is Mary's prominence. Luke is so different than the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew gives us the birth narratives, honestly, from the stepfather, Joseph's perspective. Luke gives us the birth story from Elizabeth and Mary's perspective. And it's in these birth stories in Luke that Jesus, that Mary is introduced as being highly favored and blessed by God. And all through the Gospel of Luke, Mary plays a very significant role. Now, I know in religion today, we have sort of gone between two extremes. In the Catholic view, not trying to be critical here, but just be honest, you know, Mary is to be revered, almost treated as a deity. Even, you might even pray through Mary, Okay. On the other hand, many of us who've grown up Protestant have almost given Mary no special role at all. I'm telling you, there was a special role for Mary in the the Gospel of Luke, and she was affirmed because when God sent his son, 
He knew the key to Jesus growing up as a righteous man would be a good mother. And God didn't need some of the polls that have been taken over the last few decades by major universities that all measure and say the number one influence on any of our lives is our mothers. We didn't need a poll to know that. Most of us know that, right? And so Jesus is brought up by a mother who's going to be an incredible influence on him, and she is revered. Now, number two, go with me to Luke chapter 8. There are co-laborers with Jesus who are women. This is really unusual. Uh, In fact, I want to read to you these first three verses of Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. That's expected. The twelve apostles, all men, they travel with him. And also, here's unexpected, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women, catch this, were helping to support them out of their own means. Obviously, there were some wealthy women who traveled with Jesus. They were actually traveling companions. They were not traveling cooks. They actually are financially supporting the ministry. Now, that would be unheard of in Jesus' day. In fact, as we continue to march a couple chapters over in Luke chapter 10, we have a story that we all love, one of my favorite stories in the gospel, but I missed the point of it. I've preached on this passage dozens of times. Luke chapter 10, um, Luke's trying to to balance two stories. that you got the story of the good Samaritan that says, you need to go and do. And then you have this sweet little story of Jesus going to the home of Mary and Martha, where the lesson is, before you go and do, you need to spend some time with God. And, and you remember the scene there. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's home. Martha is so excited about Jesus coming that she begins to prepare a meal. She wants to lay it out for the Son of God. She looks in the den, and there's Mary... The Bible says these words, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is the position of a disciple, of a learner. And Martha is quite perturbed that Mary is not doing the role she was supposed to do, which was help in the kitchen. And so Martha comes in, and one of the few times in Scripture we ever see anybody rebuke Jesus. You want to try that? She says, Jesus, don't you care? Anybody ever want to ask Jesus if he cares? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? And she commands Jesus, tell her to help me. Get her off her bottom and tell her to help me. And you know what Jesus says? Martha, Martha, you're so uptight about so many things. I don't really care what the meal looks like. You're so worried about many things. Mary has chosen the one thing that cannot be taken away from her. It's eternal. What has she chosen? She has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be a disciple. Now, normally we use that as a, you know, a rebuke of our busy lifestyles. And I've missed the point that it's even more than that. There actually are women who are disciples and learners of Jesus Christ. Quite a radical idea in a day where you didn't have schools for women. And then we've mentioned this one before, back on Easter, number four, uh, women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Any good historian would know if you want people to believe the history you're writing, and here's what we do know, we know Luke was a historian, we know he was a very careful historian, 
you would not put women as witnesses because women were not even allowed to be witnesses in court. In fact, the rabbi's book of wisdom called the Talmud said, one woman witness is not equal to, no, excuse me, a hundred women witnesses is not equal to one man. And so I think God's got a plan there. Women play a significant role in the resurrection. And then here might be the most unexpected role of all found, and that's women is prophet. In Luke chapter 2, verse 36, they go to the temple. Maybe you missed this. There's a woman named Anna who is a prophet. And the same man, Luke, when he's writing the, the uh, book of Acts in chapter 2, quotes from the prophecy of Joel about the outbreak of this new kingdom that your young men and your young women will dream dreams and will prophesy. And then when we get to 1 Corinthians 11, we see an assembly of the church. Now, again, I missed this for years because I was too busy arguing about whether women had to wear a head covering to church or not. Anybody ever been a part of that argument? Obviously, none of you believe they needed to wear one, okay? Because nobody's got one on today. But what I did miss was in 1 Corinthians 11, women are praying and prophesying in church. And so there's these unexpected roles that stand out to us. Now, this brings us on Mother's Day to what I would call an unexpected challenge. Because we read that and go, okay, that makes sense. That's a very backward culture, and we don't need that today. Let let me say this. Jesus still challenges the status quo. He He challenges the status quo in our culture Many of us are old enough to remember the Virginia Slim slogan, you have, you have come a long way, baby. And we all stopped and said, you know what? Everything's okay. We found out the last few years we've not come as far with women in our culture as we thought we had. Every study will confirm that women are not paid equal pay for equal work. In fact, only 5% of CEOs in America are women. And if you doubt me, then you corner some of the women after church who are in the workplace and ask them to tell you some stories about how they may be treated different than a man. And certainly this has exploded on social media and in the newspaper with the Me Too movement. After Harvey Weinstein is exposed as a sexual abuser in Hollywood, this Me Too movement exploded. And everybody's going, you know what? That's been my experience. That's been my experience. In fact, the latest ABC News poll says 54% of American women experience unwanted sexual have experienced unwanted sexual advances. And then we look to the entertainment world, and we think we're so modern, and women are too often simply portrayed as sex objects. And if we really want to get bad about it, we got a high percentage of men looking at pornography, using women nothing but for gratification. So maybe we hadn't come as far as we thought we had as a culture. And then let me throw another one in that I think is important, is that the depreciation of the role of the traditional roles of women. If a woman decides to stay at home and to take care of her husband and family, in our culture, they're looked down of as being backwards, as not, being, not using their gift as far as they could. In fact, it seems to me that that women are almost in a no-win situation. 
If, if you do stay home with your children, you're looked at like you're wasting your talents and you're not doing what you ought to do. If you go to work, then you've got to deal with the guilt of not being home with your children. We've made it where women can almost not win. That's sad. And so Jesus challenges that status quo. He challenges status quo in the home. Now, please hear me today. I affirm male leadership in the home. I think it's clearly taught in Scripture. But you and I have both seen abuse. I remember a dear sister in this church who grew up in this town actually was married to a preacher. He was physically and sexually abused, abusive to her. She went to, I could name names, some of the leading ministers in this city, and she was told that under no circumstances should she leave him. That all she had, that what she must do is just sit there and put up with it. And that kind of attitude's prevailed too long. And I think sometimes men, let's be real honest here, we've used leadership verses and submission verses in Scripture as an excuse to be a dictator, a dominator. I'll never forget the first church I worked for. I used to eat lunch at one elder's home quite often. And they were, they were really wonderful, sweet people. But he had a, an extremely dominant, domineering view of men and women. And so if he were sitting in his den on Sunday afternoon watching the football game and his teacup would get a little bit low, all he had to do to have his wife running was to jiggle his ice a little bit. <laughs> and she's flying because she knew if she didn't do it, she's going to be in trouble. My friends, the headship verses in Scripture are not just about being the leader. They're about being the provider and about being the protector. And the example that's given to us is not of someone being dominant and ugly and bossy, but the example we're given, which is incredible, is that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And sometimes we also skip the verses in the same section of Scripture that says there ought to be mutual submission. So we've seen it in the home. We've seen it in culture. I think we even see it in the church. There are some things that women did in the New Testament that are not allowed in church today. Now, please understand me. I'm not an egalitarian. I don't believe what the feminist movement would say to you today that there's no difference between men and women. I was listening to a podcast this week that was just talking about how crazy that idea would be, that you don't want to be treated the same way in every situation, that physically men and women are quite different. And they compared how fast a woman could throw a baseball compared to a man, and it was almost 40 miles per hour difference if they trained. In fact, only 5% of women would be able to throw a baseball as fast as almost any man. So to, to come and say there, there's no physical differences would, would actually be a little bit crazy. There, there are differences. And to say there are no emotionally differences on the other side, to women's great credit, they have great intuition. M my wife picks up on things much quicker than I do about people and things around me. And, and to say that we're the same wiring emotionally, that would be foolish. But on the other hand, we've also got to take into account the roles that women actually played in Scripture. Whatever view, and I'm not getting into this deeply today because this is not the time or place, 
But whatever view you come up on women's role in church, and let me say this, it's the most, it is one of the most difficult studies in Scripture. It, it almost seems like there's contradictory passages. I don't think there are. I think there's a way to make sense of it, but it does. But if anybody tells you this is an easy, no-brainer issue, they're not being truthful with you. It's difficult because there are passages that obviously seem to limit what women can do. And then there are these other passages, I call them the breakout passages, where there seems to be very little difference. I mean, think about some of the roles that women play in Scripture. They pray in the presence of men. They teach men. There were women deaconesses in the first century church. We already saw that there were women that played the role as a prophet, even in front of men, not just ladies' Bible class. And there's actually a woman in the book of Romans who's named as an apostle. Now, I don't believe that means she's one of the twelve, because the word apostle means sent. I think it's more like saying she was a missionary. So whatever view you come up on this, you've got to be able to take all of these passages, and the other passages say women should learn in quietness and submission, along with these to come to truth. But here's what I absolutely believe. It is possible for us to affirm the special role of male leadership and also affirm significant roles for women in the church. Those are not contradictory things. And what I love about Jesus is he broke down those barriers. It shouldn't surprise us. We've seen him break down those barriers with Samaritans, with Gentiles, and with slaves. Jesus valued women. The question for us is, do we? Do you? Do I? That's what I love about Mother's Day. Because this is the day where we say, you know what? More than likely, the most powerful influence in our life has been our mothers. And we get to celebrate that. Now, we're going to celebrate this in a very special way with one of the great mothers of this church today. I'd like to ask Martha Jackson if she would join me here on stage. If you've been around Landmark, you've known Martha. She's been here for a long, long time. Uh, When I was youth minister here... um, I've been telling this story. I've been waiting for years. Um, we had a youth group event at our house, and um, she came to, to pick her kids up. But she stayed around. All of a sudden, I walked to the back of the apartment, and she's cleaning a, ba- cleaning a toilet. And I said, Martha, I'm about to preach on servanthood. I'm going to use you as an example. You remember what you said? If you tell it, I'll tell them how nasty it was. <laughs> the good news is it was Tim Lee's toilet, Okay. Now, Martha has been one of the the great examples around this church for a long, long time. I mean, she's probably most popular children's Bible class teacher. Her and her family have been so strong and faithful, and they've fostered children. Martha actually grew up in a very strong Christian family here in town. They were part of the founding of Faulkner University, called Alabama Christian Montgomery Bible School back then. I mean, she grew up in a really, really strong family. And... um, then there came the summer of 1969. And most, most of us don't know this story. I didn't until just a couple of days ago. 1969, what happened, Martha? Well, I decided that after going first through 12th grade at Alabama Christian and two years of junior college and going off to Lipscomb for two years and uh, coming back and teaching at Alabama Christian for two years, that uh, I would explore the world, that I would apply with Montgomery Public Schools and get to 
find out what the world was really about. And uh, so I started working on my master's and um, got a summer job at Bellis Hess, which you have to really be old to know know where Bellis Hess is. But there was a certain customer that came in regularly, and it seemed like every time I worked, he was there, and he started asking me out, and at first I, I wouldn't go, and I finally went, and we started doing things that I was not used to doing, like going to bars, and uh, he drank, but I didn't. I couldn't get it past my nose, but... Did y'all dance? Smell so, oh, yes, we danced. <laughs> I, I knew you were in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, um, and of course things proceeded in the relationship, and I became pregnant. Wow. Um, How did your parents respond to this? Well, when I told him that I was pregnant, he said, well, we'll go ahead and get married. So we went and got a blood test, and then I decided to take him to meet my parents. And uh, my mother said, well, I've got a few questions, you know. have you ever been married before? And he said, yeah, twice. And I was kind of taken, taken back by that. Uh, I'd never thought to ask that question. <laughs> and he had not shared. Yeah, you told me you were yeah. swept off your feet. Yes. Um, and then she said, well, do you have any children? And he said, well, yes, I have a son. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, so um, I thought, well, th- that really doesn't change anything. I'm pregnant. I need to get married. You know, we'll, we'll just go ahead with this. So what did your mom say? Uh, She said, I am willing to shoot that man, go to jail for the rest of my life to keep you from marrying him. And you thought she was serious. And I was like, mother, you know, uh, I I didn't know whether to believe her or not, but it really shook me up, you know, that she would say something so so strong. Um, So I thought, well, I need to think about this, you know, and, and... she talked with me a lot, you know, and she said, if he can't make me two marriages work, how's he going to make a third marriage work? And uh, so um, I broke up with him. It was a wake-up call, wasn't it? It was a wake-up call. And, so, um, so what do you decide then to do with the baby? Um, well, I called to the HR because there was no agape at that time. I was very concerned about him being raised in a Christian home. And so I, I asked the social worker, I said, can you place him in a Church of Christ home? And she said, we don't do that kind of thing. She said, I can probably find a family that is religious, that goes to church, and we will try to place him there, but there's no guarantees. So you work through this, and when you start showing, what happens? Then I decide to go to an unwed mother's home to not bring embarrassment to my family. And um, uh, when the baby comes, you know, um, the nurse says, you really shouldn't see this baby. It'll, it'll, you know, have an effect on you. And I said, no, I want to see my baby. And she said, no, we, we advise children from the, nurse, from the unwed mother's home not to see their baby. And I said, bring me my baby. <laughs> so she brought him to me, and I counted his toes and fingers and just thought he looked so much like my family. Just He just resembled my baby pictures and just... Um, just love it for sight, you know. And uh, so she left him for a little while, and she came back, and she said, are you ready to give him up? And I said, yes, that's the best thing. So she took him away, and then the next day I was dismissed from the hospital and had to go to a court hearing. And uh, the judge said, you know, 
We have this paper for you to sign, and once you sign this paper, it says you will never, ever try to contact him. Not on his birthday, not any time. You have no contact. And I said, okay. And I signed that paper. So tell this story. This bothers me. You came back home. You went forward in church and confessed this. What was said? The elder came to me after I had confessed that morning, and he said, you, you won't be allowed to teach any of our classes anymore. You won't be allowed to do the bulletin you boards You did the bulletin boards. You can't even do the bulletin boards anymore. Can't even do the bulletin boards anymore. How much did you love teaching? Oh, it was my life. I loved kids and loved teaching. and I was just pretty much devastated that I would continue to be punished even though I had confess my sin and uh, as I studied you know I read about Peter denying Christ three times but he preached the first gospel sermon and I thought there's some forgiveness there (laughs) but I didn't seem to get that forgiveness I still got judgment you know I I tell when I heard this story um, earlier this week I've I've always loved you and and watched you make the transition from how you grew up and stick here at Landmark all these years I wondered what when did she discover grace and, and now I understand. Tell the church about what became your favorite verse in those days. Luke seven forty seven, And I have visual word pictures. I have to see, see things, you know. And so I just imagine this huge Boeing 747 going through the sky up high. It has a heavy weight load, but it's able to soar above it. And it says her sins are many. But she has great love. And so I knew that I was forgiven. And that verse just got me through. Just Luke seven forty seven. I love the story there. I mean, we, we don't even know the woman's name, but she's called the sinful woman. Pharisees wanting to run her out of the house. And Jesus loves her and forgives her. So how did this affect, because your whole life you've taught children, how did what happened there affect the way you taught children? Well, I just thought... That child could be my child. And uh, so I would just love and do anything for that child that I would do for my own child. And when I would have an especially obnoxious child, I would just say, you know, this could be Jesus. Abraham entertained angels unawares. Uh, This could be somebody just testing me, you know. So i got to treat them good anyway. (laughs) Some of these parents need to hear that this morning, I'm sure. Um, If we stop right now, that's an amazing story. But... Over the last few months, God's been orchestrating something. Can you tell us about that? Okay, well, about a month ago, my husband prayed. Well, he really thought I was dying because I had this shortness of breath and was, you know, a little chest pain. And um, So he prayed that I would get to meet my son because he knew that it was important to me. And um, one day, uh, maybe three weeks ago, my youngest son called. Now, I had told my older son and my daughter about... Uh, having a baby out of wedlock, but I had never gotten around to telling my youngest son, who's now 38, uh, 36, in in Rochester, Rochester, Minnesota. And uh, so I just never told him. So he calls one day and he says, Mama, I had my uh, 23andMe done. I've done my DNA and uh, it's come back that I'm 25% related to somebody that's uh, maybe an uncle or I'm a nephew or he's my nephew or do you know? Uh, and uh, 
I said, well, this is the talk we never had. Um, I'm going to have this talk right now. Um, You have a half-brother. And he said, I figured that out. (laughs) So he said, we've been texting, and he wants to know if you want to hear from him. And I said, yes, I do, definitely. I've been praying for him for 48 years, and I, I would just love to talk to him. And so we talked, you know, and he said, he said, I think you're my mother. And I was like, yes, yes, this is wonderful. Um, and so we were trying to figure out when to get together. And um, so we met on May the 4th, which was a Friday. Uh, this is so unreal. Uh, he lives in Dolphin Island. And my son, Alan, my oldest son, is building a house in Dolphin Island, which is like a mile and a half from his house. But we were going down there to you know, do some of the construction work. And uh, he said, I've I've got a fundraiser I'm doing for the Alabama Kidney Association, so I can't stay but a minute, but I want to come by and see you. And so um, he came by. I mean, it was like, it was just perfect, you know. We just hugged each other, and it was just so good to see him, and it was wonderful. And he said, when can we get together? And I said, well, you know, I'm doing this, 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 this. And I said, I'm actually speaking uh, next Tuesday at Tuskegee, at um, a little graduation for providers with family guidance that I used to work for. But I said, that afternoon I can come, you know, and I'll just drive to Dolphin Island. He said, no, I'll meet you in Greenville. And so I said, okay, I can be through by 2 o'clock and meet you there. So we met and, um, you know, I had a thousand questions. He had a thousand questions. And we How just, long did it last? Four hours. And and this, and was the, <laughs> this was this past Tuesday. This past Tuesday, May the 8th. And let's see a picture of that. Uh-huh. So what was that like? Uh, It was just so wonderful. It's just like we've never been apart. You know, we got a lot of years to catch up on, but he wants to catch up and I want to catch up. So what has God taught you through this? Grace, grace. God's grace is so beautiful. And Corey Asbury has a new song about how God leaves the 99 to seek after that one. And I'm so glad that he came after me, you know, that uh, says, I I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But he still gives us that gift. And uh, redemption is just such a wonderful thing. I want to share, uh, of course, the first thing this morning he did was send me a message let's see if we can do this quicker than we did at first service yeah. <laughs> I, I was no help very t- challenged technically all right now where where did that come from? where does that come from? i have the message I but i believe have you're looking at pictures like that martha <laughs> <laughs> there we go all right so first thing this morning Happy Mother's Day. Sorry I couldn't make it up there for your story reveal. I know you'll have a great day full of blessings and fellowship. And I wrote him back. Thanks so much. I'm a little nervous but so excited that you found me. I think God wanted this. I know I did. That it has worked out to be the same time as Mother's Day is just more proof. Some other person may, must need to hear redemption. God is good. And then he wrote back. It's such a great thing. People are just in awe. God is great. 
hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll be praying and thinking about you today. I don't think we can beat those words. Thank you. Would you guys thank Martha for sharing with us? I love you. You know, you look at that picture of reunion and reconciliation, and like for most of us, it involves a table, it involves food. Uh, many of us today who think of our mothers who are alive and our mothers who have even passed on, some of my greatest memories of my mom today are sitting around a table and, and eating and sharing. And so today, as we come to the table of the Lord, I think what we've just heard prepares us perfectly. Because the story we've heard about is a story of forgiveness and of reconciliation. And as you go to the table of the Lord today, and they're scattered out among uh, the worship center today, it's just another story of forgiveness, of forgiveness that none of us deserve, and of a reconciliation that's happened between us, but even more importantly, between us and God. So today, I invite you to go to the table and, and not go to the table to feel guilty because of what you did, but to celebrate what God has done. And I love that Martha could do that this morning. And I love that we can do that this morning. So let's pray together. Father, God, thank you. God, thank you so much on this Mother's Day that we can, we can contemplate the amazing role that mothers play and the way your son Jesus treated women teaches us so much. But Lord... We above all thank you that you came to forgive us and to reconcile us. We thank you for this story of redemption and reconciliation that we've just heard that touches our hearts. That's a picture of what we celebrate right now. So as we go to the table, Father, may we remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price by giving his body and by spilling his blood so that we can be reconciled to you. And so this moment is not a moment of guilt, but a moment of pure joy. God, we saw that in Martha's face as she talked about this new relationship that's been brought back together after 48 years. And God, we thank you that some point in our lives, God, that you were reconciled to us, God, and you accepted us despite our mistakes and our sins. So this is our moment to sit at the table with Jesus and to bask in his love, and to say thank you. We pray this in his name, amen. I hope after what you've heard today and what we've experienced that you believe the words we just sang over and over again. I know you love me. I want to go back to Martha's favorite passage. I'll never look at Luke 7 the same again. Luke 7, verse 47. Look and listen to what the Lord said there. You can put that up on the screen for everybody to see that. Luke 7, verse 47. To that sinful woman, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. You see there, the Pharisee was looking down his nose at this woman because of her past, but that was not Jesus. Jesus knew that she knew she was a sinner who needed a Savior, and the Pharisee was pretty self-satisfied. And today, if you know that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, we're about to sing a song. 
If you need to experience the same kind of forgiveness and reconciliation that our sister Martha has shared with us today, I want you to know that that is for you too. Or if today you've experienced that, and and you've been forgiven for things you've even had a hard time forgiving yourself for, but God says, I forgive you. You see, the charge from that is because you've been forgiven so greatly, you ought to be able to forgive others because you have been loved so amazingly, you ought to be able to love others. And if something has interrupted that, and you're not loving the people around you the way you should, like one brother confessed in first service, I hadn't loved my wife the way God calls me to. I've not treated women the way I ought to treat women. If today something has come between you and that love flowing in you and out of you, then we invite you to come. So if you need to come to Jesus, or if you need to come back to Jesus and re-experience that love and forgiveness all over again, or if you've got some area of your life that you need some prayers for, we invite you to come as we all stand together and sing.